Jeff. It is late again. We're back with another episode. We are two days into the PPP round two being opened. How many hours have you worked this week? Uh, less than you, I think. I think that uh, for the banks, <laughs> for people who don't know, and that was gross. I'm sorry you all had to hear that cough. Uh, you work at a fintech. So yes. you're, I mean, you started immediately that your life sucks starting yesterday. For the banks, our life starts to suck more starting, I think it's Friday, is when we're able to start obtaining funding from the SBA. And the government has done what the government usually does, and they've tiered it out. So only certain banks can go right now. But I think it's Friday. I think it's the 15th. Well, it's only certain banks. And obviously, you know, the government being the government, sorry to get political on this, they had nine months to plan how they were going to do the second one. And they told us on Friday that it was opening up on Monday. I also started a new job. So I'm, I jumped in literally at the, well, worst time possible. I went back to an old employer. So I was still already very familiar with things, but you know, it's a, uh, it's been a fun long week It's a long day today. It has been a long day and it is late. We said we were going to record this tomorrow, but here you are for you night owls. We're here tonight. And we're feeling better. I mean, last week I went back and listened to the show. Uh, one, it wasn't very good. Like, uh, I think we can be honest with ourselves, Garrett. We just weren't on our game. Yeah, it, it was. was it it passed. Like it was a C minus. We got credit for the class, but it wasn't pretty. But we're better this week. That's all I know. I don't know how good we're going to be, but I know we're going to be better than we were a week ago. Yeah, it's I I hope we're better i mean it's so far i mean the cough was not a good start that but. was that was a bad start i'm sorry uh i'm still not all the way better the covid test said i don't have it but man i'm sure checking a lot of boxes for symptoms so i don't know Can you but taste we are things? feeling i can't taste things oh, there you go the, so, uh, i can't taste things and i know that i could taste things because i did uh get a blackstone griddle this week I need to get Dude, one of those. It's changed my life. Like really? I'm still going to use a smoker. I said, you know, hyperbolically that I not, I still will. Like there still obviously is a place for a, a grill and a smoker, but this flat top griddle, dude, it's a lot of fun. Like you feel like you work at teppanyaki, you get double spatulas going. It's a lot of fun. So let's see. So you have the Blackstone. Do you uh-huh. have your, uh, I don't remember which brand you got, but you have a Kamado. Uh-huh. right and then you have your weber kettle correct and then what else is in your arsenal and then i have i do have a, a cheap little gas grill i have what else do i have i have my Rectech smoker and then i have my small green mountain tailgate size smoker and then i have two different rotisserie attachments that go really on my Weber kettle, but they are separate from the kettle itself. So depends on how you want to look at it. I, I told somebody earlier this week that I had to stop counting how many I had because if I if I really come clean about how many I have, my wife's going to start realizing how many we have and, and start you know making me get rid of some. And she would be right to do so. But if I don't count them, then we can't ever get to that point. It's, ignorance is bliss sometimes. Yeah. The, so, I mean, I'm curious about the Kamado. Do, is that your 
if you're usually if you're smoking do you usually go on the Rectech? do you go on the kamado or do you just snake it on the kettle or just depend on the mood um it depends on the mood usually it depends on what i'm cooking if it's going to be a long smoke and when i say long like five six hours then typically that ends up on the Rectech. If it's something like chicken where I just want a little smoke and then I want more heat, then that's where I tend to go with the Kamado. So like the two, three hour type cooks. Um, of all of the grills that I have, okay, the, the, the Blackstone might be the most fun, but I, it's hard to say right now because it's still got the novelty factor. But the Kamado, of all the other grills, Blackstone not included, the Kamado is the most fun. Like regulating the temperature, figuring out different flavors and things. It's a lot of fun. It's crazy, man. Like I had never, so the Kamado grill is like a big green egg. If you don't know Kamado, big green egg is the, is a brand. It's probably the, it's the Traeger of that style of grill. And they're really good. Uh, I have, I think it's a vision grill, uh, which isn't top of the line. It's right in the middle of the road. But uh, what's fun with those is I will, if I cook hot, like if I, I, I'll do carne asada on that. And so I'll, I'll finish the carne asada, you know, at like 600 degrees, as hot as I can get the thing so that I can have a little bit of a sear. And if I go super hot and then I take all my food off, shut my vents to shut down the fire and close the grill, I can come back 12 hours later and then cook a hot dog. Like that's how well that ceramic grill holds temperature. It will stay at 12 hours afterwards, it'll still be like 350 degrees. Dang. But you don't have a lot of heat or not. You have lots of heat. You don't have a lot of space on there, right? Correct. Like, cause, cause you don't like, could you fit a whole packer on? Um, or how many butts could you put on it? Yeah, you can. I mean, I don't know. You could probably fit two or three pork butts. It, it's what it is, is it's, it's like ribs. Like I can only fit probably two racks of ribs because of the, the length, right? Like it's a circle. And it's a mine's a smaller version. It's not the smallest, but it's a smaller version. And so I can only put like two racks of ribs right in the middle. I can't really use the top 30% or the bottom 30% of the grill because it's a circle and my ribs are too long. If it's something like a pork butt, yeah, you can probably jam three or four of them in there and, and be okay. Uh, there are some big ones. Kamado Joe has a big one that you'll never, like space is never an issue. You can do a full brisket. And and not have a problem, so there's there's varying sizes and stuff, but it's a lot of fun. But this Blackstone, they're fairly cheap. I think I got the big one. I got a 36 inch Blackstone. It does not have a lid or like an air fryer underneath. Some of them have that kind of stuff now, and they're pretty cool. Uh, I think it was less than 300 bucks. I can't remember for sure. Like they're fairly cheap. This is not a Blackstone ad, but everybody should go get a Blackstone because dude it's a lot of fun i yeah i've been looking at or debating kind of you know getting one i want one i've also been debating so it's when i moved to south carolina i didn't want to pack i did have a traeger i would not if i did not get it at half price i would not have bought it because i think traegers are overrated considering the markup that you pay for having the traeger name on it there are other things that are equally as good at much cheaper especially a pellet grill is a pellet grill right like as long as it holds the temperature mm -hmm. and doesn't get jammed you're fine um, what matters more is the pellets that you put in and you should order lumberjack pellets because they're better do not buy the trigger pellets those are crap um but the so i've, I've been debating getting another 
pellet grill, just like what you said for just the, the long cook where it's like, I don't want like, you no, know, sometimes it is fun, right? Like I do, cause I have a Weber kettle now. It's like, you know, I can go maintaining the temp and checking it and putting in all the effort, but sometimes you just don't want to deal with that. Right. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I just want to put the meat on and I want to come back and I want the meat to be done. And I don't, you know, it's your, and you're really, if you're getting good quality out of the pellet, it's like, you're really splitting hairs and it's very nuanced. And to be honest, the incentive isn't really there because no matter like you and I, we could taste the difference. Obviously my kids, they can't tell my wife, she could not taste the difference. Like she does not appreciate it. Not, well, not appreciate it's the right word. Cause she would appreciate it that I spent a lot of effort cooking it, but it's like, you know what I mean? It's like the nuance of like, Oh, you know, I had to do this and I did this and the bark is slightly better on this one. And it's like to her, it's just like, Oh, it's meat. That's not dry. And it tastes good. I like it. Like it clears mm-hmm. the bar, right? It's not the, you know, so it's harder. So it's, I was, you know, it, there's no one to impress really. Right. Cause it's just like, I don't know. She's like, it's good when you cook it on that. And it's good when you cook it on that. Like, what do I care? <laughs> and so I, it's, but I do want to get a Blackstone. Um, I have been eyeing them. I just, I'm waiting for them to go on sale and I need somewhere to put it, but the, have you seen the new master built, like the charcoal feed ones? Yeah. And I, I don't know if I could wrap my head around it. I don't mind it. So I think it's a good idea. If you haven't seen these yet, it's like, it's basically the idea of like a pellet grill where you're feeding it, but instead of putting in pellets, it's like putting in, you just like dump briquettes into this giant chamber and then it heats it up at the bottom. And then it's almost like an automated offset smoker where it's like, it's just going to cook the charcoal down on the side and then pipe the heat in the same way an offset would, but it's supposed to be all automated automated and whatnot and so they're i'm intrigued by them but it also it's very new and i feel like it could be more pain than it's worth there was i I, i'm trying to remember what it was called because i already can't remember but i tweeted one that was it, it had i mean it was proprietary briquettes like this weird little like smoke stone but it was a charcoal grill that had and it didn't have gas, but it had like electric components so that you could control temperature with the knob. But it was charcoal, but you had to use a spark. That's what it was called. And it was a cool little concept of a grill. Like they just finished their prototype and went to market. I don't think I'd buy it because I'd have a hard time with proprietary coal, right? Like briquettes, because if they go out of, out of business, then it's useless. But it was a pretty cool idea. The next grill that I want, this has turned into give them barbecue, Brigham. But the next grill that I want, I think I've shared it with you, Garrett, is a kudu. Have I have I showed you the kudu? Oh uh, yeah, it's like a Santa Maria style with a crank. That, kind of, but it's like so the, big. But it's a bowl. So there's one that's like a circle that you just build a fire, and then it's got these two. It's got these two bars that are coming out of either side. And the bars, I think the bars default like two feet tall, uh, but it can go much higher than that. And the they sell attachments that go onto these bars, like grates or like skillets or Dutch oven hooks and all kinds of things. And you can rotate like the way that you the way that you regulate your heat and stuff is you move things up and down this bar. You build this big fire in this firebox, and then you put. Uh, your grates, like you can move them over the fire, you can move them off the fire, you can move them above the fire, right directly over the fire. It's pretty slick. And if I could, 
I don't know. I just have a hard time saying I need another one that is going to cook is, you know, essentially the same way. This one looks super fun and it might be my next purchase sometime down the road. I mean, it's that I just looked at them and they are pretty cool there. You have too much money to spend on smokers or maybe uh, that's the problem is I don't have money. Or, I mean, it just depends. My, my wife and I were talking about this the other day. It's, you know, it just depends on what you're doing with that money, right? Like it's, we, my wife also, if you are listening to this and you have ever done an extended vacation of sorts, uh, I did ask about this on the Twitter dumb the other day. Please reach out to me. Uh, we are considering possibly going to Europe for eight weeks next year, six weeks. I don't know how long it'll be. Just taking a long vacation. I work from home. My new job is permanently remote. My wife doesn't work. Our kids aren't in school. If we're going to do it, might as well do it. Maybe we'll go to South America. Maybe we'll go somewhere else. Like, I don't know. We're going to go somewhere for like a month and a half next year. So if you have ideas for that, please reach out to me. And if you want to, you know, talk more about grills, then you can always talk to Jeff and me because we will never be upset or turn away a conversation to talk about grilling or barbecue Unless you use barbecue as a verb because you don't barbecue something. You make barbecue. Barbecue is you a know, food. That's your thing. I don't care. You could say whatever you want. I don't care. But uh, that is – we've had this conversation before. You picked it up when you were in the South, and I get it. I understand. I think you're right. I think you are right. But I, I am much less passionate about that than you are. You know, it's just one of those things that it it's – you can be wrong, but as long as you admit that you're wrong, it's fine. Uh, yeah. Uh, welcome to the off season, ladies and gentlemen. Like this is give them hell, Brigham. Uh, look, and I know that there is a basketball game tomorrow, and it's a big basketball game. It is a big game. The Cougars play St. Mary. I'm having such a hard time getting into this season. I have because I expect everything to be canceled. I'm like, I can't until the game tips off. I just can't trust anything or feel like anything's going to happen it's true the cancellations are tough i i don't think i realized um where are they playing this game actually oh you know what i don't know i assumed it's moraga but i don't know do they have to move it i don't know where uh i don't know where moraga is moraga is like right next to it's right before you get into oakland just barely over into the east bay so Mm. i think it's i don't know what con I don't know, I guess whether that'd be like Contra Costa County or whatever, but they, I don't know what their county is doing. Cause I like Stanford is playing their games at UC Santa Cruz because their so county strange. is dumb. So um, I don't know. I don't know where they're playing. My biggest issue, and I, I don't think I realized watching football, I don't know if it was because of the piped in noise or if it was because it was football and I didn't care, like the, the, the sounds of the game were better. But watching football, for the most part, I didn't really notice the fact that there weren't fans there. But watching basketball, man, I struggle. Like, just getting into the flow of the game without fans. And maybe it's because I hear the refs even more than I would already hear the refs. I don't know. Like, the refs have ruined college basketball for me. But whatever it is, it's tough. That said follow the Cougars closely enough to know that they are a good team. The absolute blowout to Gonzaga, notwithstanding, like they, they did not look good last week, but Gonzaga is making everybody not look good. It doesn't matter if you're BYU or if you're Kansas, 
if you're going up against Gonzaga this year, there's a pretty good chance you're going to get blown out. Uh, so that game's an outlier. You kind of have to throw it out the window. This is a race for number two in the WCC with St. Mary's and San Francisco. I think BYU wins tomorrow by double digits. And this is why this team is built differently than just about every other BYU team that has ever gone to Moraga and played. So whether they're playing in Moraga or not, it's tough for BYU to go on the road and play at St. Mary's. It always has been. But the one thing that BYU has this year that they have not had in most years is they're built really inside out. And that's been a struggle for BYU as they've matched up against St. Mary's over the last decade, right? Think of like the Jock Lindales, you know, all of these big St. Mary's guys that are just, they work hard, they rebound. And at the end of the game, their stat lines like 17 points, 13 boards, and they just killed BYU with, with the, the way that the BYU is constructed this year, Matt Harms, Richard Harward, Colby Lee, like there's plenty of big dudes who can get in and score from the block. Caleb Lohner starting to play really, really well. He can get in and score on the block. BYU has the ability to play St. Mary's the way St. Mary's plays everybody. And that, I think, gives BYU the advantage. They still have to shoot well from three, but I think they have the advantage going into this game tomorrow. And it's a big game. It's one of the last three or four, and really, who knows, with, with covid what it could do to the season. This is one of the last games for a real true quality, like a universally accepted quality win that BYU has on the schedule. So they've got to come out and play well tomorrow. Yeah. And looking at this, Ken Palm predicts a one point loss to with St. Mary. So it's a, this is a very good matchup, right? Like it's going to be a good game, but it's, I mean, other than USC and Gonzaga, who are both very good teams, the especially the Zags, right? We saw what happened last week. They, you know, it's like every game, like BYU has not been out of anything, right? And it's yes, they're nine and three, but it's still they play well together. Like they battle, they're scrappy, they find different ways to play. And other, really, other than the USC game where they just looked horrible, and even they weren't in that game, they weren't taking bad shots. Just nothing was falling, and then they just got zagged last weekend last week, but that's, so I agree. I think this is going to be a big game. And I mean that, that the McKeon pavilion in Moraga is a tough place to play, especially when it gets flaws, but with an empty, you know, it's kind of, there is no home court advantage for the Gales there. Right. Cause it's, you're going to go in, they're going to be rested. Like we always come, you know, they're not, it's not the second game of the travel leg. They flew out there today, sleeping in a hotel, going to get up, go play in an empty gym, like a pickup game. And it's, I think it, the Cougars like, are going to run away with it. I don't know how many of our listeners are, are longtime Utah County residents. It's now, oh, what is it called? It's now the unique building in Lehigh. It used to be the open court building in Lehigh that it's that big building on the north end of Lehigh, right as you're coming out of Point of the Mountain, right off the freeway. <laughs> and unique is you, like unique, Y-O-U, N-I-U, N-I-Q, whatever it is. It's some MLM, yeah. And, and so anyway, that used to be open court. And what it was, was just one giant building full of a million basketball courts. It's all that it was. And I remember playing summer high school basketball tournaments there, and like, it was like any big gym, right? Like you just ton of echoes, 
tons of dribbles. Like you could just, it sounded like high school basketball. That's what tomorrow's going to sound like in Moraga. Like that's the way that that gym is constructed. No, there's not a million gyms like, or a, a million floors rather like there was an open court, but it's going to have that same kind of a deal. Like dribbles are going to echo. Like it's going to feel a little bit weird, but it'll be kind of fun. Maybe it'll be fun to watch. Um, but I do. I like, I like BYU's chances. And that's why I think that I think BYU has BYU's bigs have a big game tomorrow. Unfortunately, Wyatt Lowell will not have a big game. His games are done for the season. It, 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 it looked bad when it happened. And Mark Pope confirmed it was bad earlier this week. Wyatt Lowell has a torn Achilles. Uh, it's just brutal. Like the dude worked so hard Sucks. to come back after his shoulder. And now he tears an Achilles. It's like he's the Taysom Hill of the basketball team. Although maybe Gavin Baxter is the Taysom Hill of the basketball team because he's also out for the year after being out for a significant portion of the year last year. Yeah, uh, Gavin Baxter is the the talent who, I mean, I don't know. Taysom Hill can catch the ball. Gavin Baxter struggles with that, so I don't think it's a super <laughs> fair comparison, but he has hurt a lot. Ouch. It does kind of look like he tries to catch with his elbows sometimes. Um, Instead of just catching it, he catches I don't know. He, like, strange. pinches it. Yeah, Gavin, we love you. If you listen... You probably won't anymore, but we do love you. We do. And it's just, you know, we we all have parts of our game to work. That's really the one part of your game you need to work on. And the list for us is like a mile long. So, well, right. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, we spent like 20 minutes talking about grills because we're just middle-aged dads now. Like I, I went up a shirt size. I've started to buy a bigger shirt size in recent weeks. And uh, it's a big size. If I go up too many more sizes, I'm getting into like bed sheet range that they're just going to take a sheet and wrap it around my body with some sleeves. Uh, so I don't have any room. Like, please, Gavin, don't take it personal. Like, you can't catch. I'm fat. Like, we all have our thing. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to go down a size. I've been stuck for a while. <laughs> I want to shrink a little bit. <laughs> but it's... I, i've accepted it man it's gonna happen i have three kids like who who what, what do i got anymore health the the doctor actually told me i don't go to the doctor often uh but at the start of the pandemic i did go find like a personal like a family doctor who so now i have a doctor that i meet with relatively routinely and i i specifically sought out a doctor as I was looking at doctors in our network and looking at their pictures and their bios before for calling one and becoming their patient, I wanted somebody who looked like me. Like most of these doctors are skinny and I, I know what I look like. I didn't need a doctor to tell me that, hey, you're fat. You need to lose weight. That's probably why your back hurts sometimes, right? I, I don't need to pay somebody to tell me that. So I wanted to find a doctor who looked like me. And I found a great one. He's a great, great, phenomenal doctor. Anyway, I met with him. He ran all the tests. He calls me fat fit. He was shocked at how well, like my heart held up, my cholesterol, my, my blood pressure, everything is great. And he just looked at me. He's like, well, Jeff, I'll be honest. Like I expected you to have some concerns, but you're right where you should be as if you were 165 pounds, like you are fat fit. And when I heard that, that's basically like, I think I just got a, a card to do whatever I've been doing. So you got your COVID vaccine card of sorts. Yeah, it's like, yeah. this is my license to eat. Yeah. So I'm fat fit. 
I'm embracing that. I mean, it still hurts a little bit when I like have to get the mail or heaven forbid, chase the dog around, but I'm not in shape, but I'm not going to die. So yeah, I can live with that. You know, it could be, it could be much, much worse than that. So yeah. it's, I think that's, you know, not so bad. Yeah, I think it's okay. Uh, we we so that's the basketball news. There is football news to talk about, and I want to start this conversation off with really kind of a a philosophical conversation, if you will, about the transfer portal. And before I get into any of my thoughts, I'm curious to hear what you think. Um, so here's the background: transfer portal. BYU has not added anybody from the transfer portal. There's a handful of guys that we're going to talk about that they could target uh, here in coming weeks and months. Uh, but there's a school, you know, up north in Utah that is adding players out of the transfer portal like I consume calories. Like they're just adding new players all the time, whether it's Charlie Brewer, Jaquindon Jackson, two quarterbacks. They've added two running backs this week, TJ Pledger, and uh, I can't remember his first name, Curry out of LSU. All highly rated recruits when they were coming out of a high school. And with the exception of Brewer, all players who have had little, um, how do you say this? Maybe not little impact. Some of them certainly little impact, but maybe not as much impact at their first stop out of high school as they hoped they would. And even Brewer had a really good year under Matt Rule in 2019, was less stellar uh, this year. They've added players like crazy out of the transfer portal. And they did the same thing last year with Jake, Jake Bentley, Cam Rising. It's very clear that Utah is viewing the transfer portal as an opportunity. So my question for you, Garrett, what do you think or how do you think BYU should use the transfer portal? Um, I mean, I think you definitely, if you have positions of need, then you need to go get guys in the portal, but it's unless you, you know, where Utah went out and they got like 47 running backs and 18 quarterbacks. One, I don't know why so many quarterbacks would go there because there is no history of quarterback performance at the university of Utah. There is, and only one quarterback can be on the field at the time at a time when you are playing. And so I do not understand how they, why you get, you know, three transfers going in there. But also it's kind of that balance, right? Like it's not, I mean, basketball, obviously Gonzaga has made their money on getting transfers and Mark Few lives in the portal because basketball, you get one player can completely, you know, change your entire team. And, but in football, you have to have a lot more player development because guys are just less ready to come in. Like you can't just come in and dominate and be a one and done in football the way you would in basketball and, you know, completely just take over and it's guys are usually less ready. So you do have to, you know, deal with the player development, but then also just building your program, right? Like it's okay. If you're trying to recruit other quarterbacks, then it's you come in and it's like, you know, the, Oh, we went out in the transfer portal and got three more quarterbacks what does that say to everyone else that's in the room? Right. Like, and so it's, there is that balance. And so I think you definitely need to get like maybe one or two guys in very like key positions, or if you have a gap because maybe someone left the program. And so it's like, Oh, we're going to be stuck without any upperclassmen of this position. We need a starter because someone's not ready that yet, whatever, then that's, you know, I think that's totally good. People understand that you want to compete, but if it's, you know, you got a bunch of upperclassmen who have waited their time and, put in the hours and they're expecting to get their shot. And then they go out and say, 
oh, no, sorry. We know that you are a junior and you were sitting the bench behind a three-year starter who was a year ahead of you, but now we just went out and got another transfer guy that we're going to put him over you. Like that hurts and guys like they want to play. And so if you do that, that it can mess with your locker room a little bit, I guess is the long-winded way of where I'm ending up. And so you have to play that balance right. And, you know, usually too, there's also usually a reason that people are transferring. Sometimes it's great. You end up with a Jordan Leslie, you know, other times it's not so great. And you end up with trying to think of who else, like a Harvey Jackson, right? Yeah. Harvey Jackson. Right. And so it's, you know, there's usually there's people typically transfer because they are either not happy. They have like off the field issues um, you know, be a personal, like, I mean, maybe they just want to be closer to home. You know, that's obviously, that's usually the one where it's like, yes, that's good. Right. Like it's, you're fine with that. Um, but usually it's, they're not getting playing time where they're at. And if they're not getting playing time where they're at, there's typically a reason. And so if it's, if it is, we want to be closer to home and we are from like, and they're from Utah, like a one Ty Jones, Yes. All about that. Like, that's fine because obviously it's like, it's not just playing time or sitting, you know, or anything else. It's, you know, grades aren't an issue if they, but it's, there is a balance that needs to be found. Yeah. I think that that's fair. And I think as I've thought about this, I've, I've really kind of narrowed it down to, there are three types of transfers that obviously there's exceptions. Like we can't make any hard, fast rules, but there are three types of transfers that I would say BYU and anybody, but BYU should consistently target. One, graduate transfers looking for more playing time, meaning guys who have graduated, guys who have stuck with the program for three or four years, got their degree, and are transferring. So those are the, uh, you know, the Tyson Williams types, right? The Jordan Leslies, like you mentioned. Uh, it's hit or miss. Harvey Jackson, kind of a bust out of Nebraska, or coming from Nebraska. Keanu Nelson came from Stanford. And I'd be willing to bet that most of you listening forgot that Keanu Nelson was a person. So there, it's hit and miss in that graduate transfer portal. But I don't mind that being a consistent target for a couple of reasons. One, they usually have one year of eligibility left at most two. And they are coming to... They're, they're kind of like the new Juco transfer is really what they are, is that it's guys that uh, are coming in to plug a hole in your roster for whatever reason. A uh, high school kid didn't pan out. Somebody left early. Somebody retired. Injuries, whatever. Uh, it's, a, it's basically like how BYU has used a Juco guy for the last 20 years. So I think that those totally should be targeted uh, whenever you address your roster and you find those needs. Number two. If you're going to target a traditional transfer, meaning somebody who is an underclassman, not a graduate who is transferred, I think it needs to be, for the most part, somebody who you've previously recruited. If you're just going out and getting random guys out of the transfer portal, I think that comes with a ton of risk for all of the reasons that you just mentioned. And because of, are they really that good, right? Like you don't know, you just don't. But if you go and you find guys that you identified when they were 16, 17 years old that, hey, I want them and I believe I can make them fit, I can help them develop, whatever it is, and then they have, you have an opportunity to go get those people again, I think by all means you should capitalize on all the hard work that you did when you were recruiting them out of high school. And then three, and the last type, is people who are transferring up. Jordan Leslie transferred up. He, came, he went from UTSA up to BYU. UTEP, yeah. Or UTEP, yeah. UTEP up to BYU. I I struggle more 
when it's now obviously Chris Badger was somebody who BYU did recruit previously, but Chris, Chris Badger transferred down. He was at Notre Dame. He transferred down to BYU. Everybody was excited and clapping when he came because it was the former four-star guy, the Notre Dame transfer. That's a big deal. He didn't really pan out, right? Like he was fine, but he wasn't the four-star guy that everybody hoped he would be. But at the same time, we also had Tristan Hodge do the same thing. And so Tristan Hodge did the same thing. It really is case by case and figuring out why you know they're wanting to transfer. And I think Tristan Hodge, it wasn't so much the playing time. It was he just realized he didn't, you know, he didn't want to be that far away from home. Whereas right. Chris and, Badgers, and, and he was he was somebody who um well couple thoughts, two thoughts on, uh, on Tristan Hodge. One, he was somebody who BYU had previously recruited. So there was that relationship already there. And then two, and I think Tristan would be the first one to tell you this, like because of injuries largely, but his production didn't match what his high school recruiting ranking was. He was still a very productive player, but he wasn't, you know, top hundred offensive linemen in the country. Right. I, don't, I don't think. Right. So anyway, I think that those are the three types of transfers that by and large BYU should target if they are going to go into the transfer portal. Uh, looking at Utah, clearly Utah's doing some things right. They're recruiting very, very well. They reload very, very well. Whittingham has done a very good job of building a program that is sustainable and, and plugging in players who could consistently contribute uh, at every position. So great, good for them. This isn't about Utah. I, I would, I would be concerned if BYU was approaching the transfer portal the same way Utah is. It just doesn't work as well at a school like BYU. I, I look at even Utah's transfers, like Cam Rising got hurt. Jake Bentley wasn't good. Uh, okay, now we'll see what happens with these the next round of transfers. But so far, they're kind of 0 for 2. Like, nobody's don't really... Th- I don't think you can bank on a quarterback transfer. I don't think you can either. I think I mean, you are I adding guess... a quarterback to be depth, not be a starter. Yeah, and it's, I mean, uh, it can be, I guess, like, it can be different if it is, you know, like a Thompson guy or it's someone who... You know, similar, but, but to, even a guy like JT Daniels, right? Like he transferred. It, it, it's it's got to be different. Like Justin Fields transferred, but he was still basically a freshman. Right. It's like he Joe, was basically Joe Burrow transferred, but he was a graduate transfer. That was like different. Taysom Hill never enrolled in school, and even I mean, for every Joe Burrow, there are a million Jake Bentleys, and it's yeah, like Justin Fields transferred, like JT Daniels, like you started, you saw him, and then it was like very clear, like okay, the situation is kind of similar. Like the JT Daniels situation was very similar to um, what happened with Shane Bouchelle at Texas when Sam Mm -hmm. Ellinger came in. Is like, you got hurt, new guy showed up. Sorry, you can only have one quarterback. We're going to ride the guy that we have more time with, right? Like Speaking speaking of Sam Ellinger, since you brought him up, or Ellinger, however you say his name, I don't know. Uh, I remember in the offseason, we're talking about Utah a lot, and I don't take very many shots at Utah. I'm not one of those guys. But I remember listening to talk about Cam Rising being just all world, right? Until Jake Bentley signed, and then it was Jake Bentley was going to be all world. And then it was a really tough quarterback competition, blah, blah, blah. Cam Rising was like third or fourth on the depth chart at Texas. And I get it. He was young. But have you seen Sam Ellinger play? Like he was not only beat out by Ellinger, who really was not good. Like he was a lot of hype for being not a very good quarterback. He never got any better. Never got any better. And he was downright bad at times this year. Not only did he get beat out by Ellinger, he got beat out by two other guys who got beat out by Ellinger. So the hype around like, hey, Cam Rising, the former four-star guy, felt misplaced from the beginning. But 
Again, not a Utah podcast, just my thoughts. And there are three guys. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say that's what you're going to see at, um, you know, that's what you're going to see at quarterback transfers for the most part is there's a reason that they were buried in the depth chart. Unless they're transferring up, right? Unless it's guys like, uh, look, Zach Wilson, a lot of people don't know this. um, And I don't know if he has his degree. I think the NFL might have thrown a like a wrench in his plans, but he was on target to graduate either this past semester or in the current semester now, so that he would have gone into the 2021 season with his degree in hand. And I think that that was aligned that way so that he could have transferred. Like he could have been a graduate transfer. Zach Wilson played well enough at BYU. If, if he could, if he would have come back and he could find a spot at Georgia as a senior, yeah, that's a, that's a, that you're willing to gamble transferring up. Right. Right. So if you can get a quarterback like Trey Lance decided to go from North Dakota state to the FBS level. Yeah. Like take that transfer. When Vernon Adams and Dakota Prokrup went from Eastern Washington to Oregon. Uh, Yeah. I mean, let that happen. Like that makes sense. But when it's, yeah, you're going to transfer from, I don't know, you're going to transfer from Stanford to BYU. Well, you probably transferring from Stanford because you failed. It, it, I don't know. Not a hard, fast rule, obviously exceptions, but that's my thought. Uh, there are three guys that are currently in the transfer portal that I could see BYU targeting. Uh, Ty Jones, you already mentioned, Garrett. Kerry, Kump, or Kerry Crump out of Arizona. He's a defensive back that BYU recruited. Uh, he had a handful of offers coming out of high school. We rated him as an 87 at 24-7. Uh, pretty good player. He's like 5'11", 175, 180. Like he's a true cornerback. Um, he had offers from, I'm trying to remember who Utah state, Arizona, I think there were a handful of P five offers in there. Uh, but BYU was, was among the first, Uh, he reported Oregon and Oregon state as well. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. So he, he could play, uh, BYU, I think will get involved there. And that is one of those, one of those three scenarios, right? Like that's a guy who just one year ago, BYU had identified as, Hey, we can get this guy and we think he's good. Uh, this year really doesn't even count, right? Eligibility wise. So he's basically just a freshman out of high school that happened to go to college for a year. So I, I like that uh, Carter Shaw as an offensive lineman out of Utah state. And that would be one of those scenarios where you're transferring up. Sorry, Utah state fans, but it's the truth where you're transferring up to BYU from a mountain West school. That would make a lot of sense. Carter Shaw out of Harriman high school, uh, if BYU, and we'll talk about the coaching search, but if TJ Woods, the, the former Utah State offensive line coach, takes that job or gets that job at BYU, I would expect Carter Shaw to join the roster shortly thereafter. Um, and I think that's a good segue into our coaching search update. And so we have know that there are two spots left on the staff. We talked about this at length last week, um, that we expect a defensive coach to come in and help with the defensive line. And then as well as an offensive coach, obviously to replace the offensive line um, void that was left by Eric Mateos and Jeff Grimes. And I think defensively, it's kind of all but you know wrapped up that it's going to be Kevin Clune, uh, who was similar to what A-Rod did a few years ago. Um, Clune was not paid, but he was in Provo this year just because he knows many people on the staff and he was just working as an analyst. Um, so 
analysts are different than coach analysts just watch film and can talk to coaches. They can't work directly with players. Um, and so, you know, he was just there after he was not retained by Memphis and didn't follow Mike Norvell to Florida state. Uh, but he's kind of, he's been around the block for a long time, right? Like he's kind of coached um, both of them, actually, Kevin Clune and you mentioned TJ Woods have kind of coached very similarly everywhere and kind of been following um, been following Gary Anderson around for a while. And with, you know, both of them have had success and both of them have coached at the P five level. And so I think it's harder with Kevin Clune and even TJ was as well, that people want to look at him and say like, Oh, they're coming from Utah state or Kevin Clune, you know, was at Memphis and then got fired. He didn't go anywhere. It's like, oh, really, you're still talking about a former coordinator who former P five defensive coordinator. Cause he was at Oregon state, uh, you know, who, would be coming in and helping coach at a position group and providing more of that mentorship mentorship there. And then on the TJ Wood side, you are talking about, you know, similarly with an offensive line, like, yes, he's coming from Utah state, but his um, he's coming from Utah state, but he, everywhere he's been, and that's also been following Gary Anderson. You know, once he came up to Utah state, he followed Gary Anderson to Wisconsin. And then he followed Gary Anderson again to Oregon state. And then after that whole fiasco there, he went to Utah, went to Western Kentucky for a year and then back to Utah state. And so he, um, he's been around the block and he's not the, you know, he's not the up and comer that Ryan Pugh or Eric Mateos were, but honestly, we don't know what Ryan Pugh and Eric Mateos are alone without um, without Jeff Grimes by their side, helping them. And so it's, you know, in terms of resumes, similarly, TJ Wood just said, okay, if you get a guy's was at Wisconsin and he, year over year, he improved at, at Wisconsin and at Oregon state in two different P five programs as the offensive line coach, he has, um, he has improved, you know, year over year, their numbers and everywhere he went from the previous year before he got there till the year after he showed up, their rushing yards per carry improved, their sack rate dropped, and just across the board, the offensive line did better. Is he Jeff Grimes? No. Is he Mark Weber? Also very much no. And so it is a, both of those guys, like they may not be flashy, but they would be good hires. And I think the other name in the um, offensive line um, kind of talk would be also would be Brent Myers, the offensive line coach from Weber. So it's still- I love Brent Myers, by the way. Tell us, tell us more about, I don't, you know more about Brent Myers than I do. Cause you're, you're a Weber guy. I, I'm team Weber and uh, I love, I love the Wildcats. I love the purple. I think purple might be my favorite color, which is weird. It used to not be because I thought it was like a girl color, but as I've gotten older, I've really come around to purple and Weber state has a lot to do with it. Brent Myers is like 60 years old. So he's getting up there, but the dude is fiery. Like his personality is infectious. He, he would, he reminds me a lot of, I don't know, I'm trying to think, but a guy like uh, John Pease that was at Utah. And, and John Pease was dancing around when he was like 85 years old, but he was still able to like connect with his players, was still able to get them hyped up. Brent Myers is, a, is really similar in that regard. Like the guy's older, there's no denying that, but the dude can, he can coach some football and he's fiery. Like he'll sit and just talk football with anybody and he's fun to talk to. Uh, so I really like Brent Myers. I, I prefer 
uh, it's kind of like, you know, a quarterback battle, right? Like uh, if you have two players and they're, they're pretty similar in most aspects, go with the younger guy. That's kind of how I view Myers and Woods, that it's two, two guys, two coaches that are really similar in a lot of areas, both in, in terms of production and in terms of their experience and their resume. Um, so I would go with Woods over Myers, given the choice between the two, but either one of them I'd be really thrilled with. One thing that I've seen a lot of, is yeah, this notion that uh, BYU needs to hire an up and comer, young up like a Mateos or like a Pew. I don't think they can get away with that at the offensive line position without Jeff Grimes being the wizard and the architect above it all. Without that as your offensive coordinator, you got to get experience. You cannot yeah. sacrifice. You need the technician who will just get on people and just ride them hard and say, you know what, you got to get going. And I mean, not to say that pure Mateos didn't do that but it's you knew you had the backstop of Jeff Grimes there right and and that's one thing uh you know as we as you try to quantify the loss of Eric Mateos like the guy was great there's no question about it what we don't know is what Eric Mateos was like without Jeff Grimes and frankly we we really don't know what Ryan Pugh was like without Jeff Grimes right I, I I think it's interesting there have been so many people who have been upset that Mateos has left. And I get it. Like the guy was a great recruiter. He was a lot of fun, really energetic coach. I think it's interesting that those are the feelings just a year after I remember people calling for his job because they thought that he had taken the offensive line backwards from where Ryan Pugh left it. Like this was a guy who was not retained, fired, whatever you want to say by Texas state. Before he came to BYU, people were upset that he was hired in the first place, and and now we're upset that he's leaving. And so anyway, I thought it was. I think it's interesting. And, and the one thing that we don't know is, yeah, which who is Eric Mateos? Is he the guy who wasn't retained by Texas State, or is he the guy who is taking the Baylor job from BYU? Uh, we we don't really know that, right? And coaching is also a very weird thing. So I don't know if you ever listened to if you venture out from into other college football podcasts, but if you listen to split zone duo at all um, with uh, RJ Scott and uh, Alex Kirshner and Stephen Godfrey and the people from banner society. Um, but, you know, they were talking about, so Louisiana Monroe just hired Terry Bowden as their coach. Like you're talking about, we're complaining about, you know, possibly hiring someone as a position coach. They went out and hired, they are the worst program in FBS and they, they are worse than UMass. And they went out and hired a guy who went 35 and 52 at Akron to be their new head coach. And (laughs) they're thrilled. And yes, they also somehow managed to get Rich Rodriguez as their offensive coordinator. So that might actually do some things there, but it could be fun, but but it's so on an episode list earlier this week or last um, of splits on duo, Stephen Godfrey mentioned that he was like, you know, I had a guy who's like a graduate assistant at a D2 school. Like we think of like, oh, okay, you know, there's there's guys that are assistants at BYU, whatever. Every school, like every level is filled with guys. Like there's guys who are graduate assistants at Weber. There's guys that are graduate assistants at College of Southern Idaho, like whatever. And they, and these guys, like, you know, it's, the comment was though, that it's like, it freaking sucks being in this industry where it's, you know, you are at a division two school, you are not getting paid 
in like, if you ever watched last chance, you, the kid that was the quarterback coach was kind of like, it's like, you're not getting paid. You're living in a crappy apartment or like the dorms trying to be a master student. It's something you don't want to just because that's the only way they can like keep you around. And whatever the rules are, you're going to every convention, you're trying to network, you're doing conferences, you're doing all this stuff to get a chance. And then the worst pro FBS program in the country goes out and hires a 70 year old retread who hasn't been coaching and you know, it wasn't good when he was years. Right. And so it's, um, and so there it's like, sometimes it like guys that get to, you know, Brent Myers stage or Kevin Clune stage. It's like Brent Myers, he was an offensive coordinator before wasn't great, whatever, but he like, he had his chance. He's bounced all over kind of in the twilight of his career. You're like, you know what? He's in a good spot, right? Like he's having a lot of success at Weber. We were having more success than they've ever had in program history. He is probably doesn't want to pack his family up, move. He's probably tired of moving all the time, kind of likes where he's at, is close to retirement, doesn't like the want to do the chase and build, whatever. For if you're on the back end of your career, you know you're not going to be the coordinator or a head coach. So you kind of get of like you do what you want to fall in love with, which is probably spending time with your players. And, you know, spending time with your players and coaching up your players and seeing their improvement and you care less about your career and more about your players. And that's the kind of guy that BYU needs at the offensive line spot right now. Look, man, I mean, Dennis Erickson, I've talked a lot about Utah today, but Dennis Erickson won a national championship at Miami. He was a head coach for the Seattle Seahawks and for the San Francisco 49ers. And he was totally content accepting a demotion from co-offensive coordinator at Utah in 2013 to running backs coach in 2014. Why? Because the dude was old, he had had his glory, and he was just happy to be there. Like he was still a very effective head uh, uh, coach for Utah. He was very valuable. Talk to any player or coach or journalist who covered that team, and you will hear about how valuable Dennis Erickson was during those early years of Utah being in the Pac-12. That's a that's what Brent Myers can bring. Like, yeah, I get it. It's not the sexy hire from Weber State, but BYU's done pretty damn well with Weber State coaches in the last few years. And Steve Clark and Bessie Satake, uh, they would do well with Brent Myers. Yeah, sure. and it's and I don't. I mean, it's it's not something too where it's like I guess you have to avoid, and it's something hard. Like you have to avoid, uh, like kind of lumping labels onto people, right? Like you got to evaluate everybody based on who they are. Like what is, why is Brent Myers at Weber? Why has he not tried to jump somewhere else? Is it like, has he lost the passion or is it just because he's, he's like, I'm in a good spot and I don't need to be the climbing anymore, whatever. Like I, like, what are his priorities? What are his goals? Like, and so even though it's like, yes, you know, maybe the older guy who's not moving up and is kind of floundering, you know, maybe that's somebody who, is not like you know someone you don't want to go with but or maybe their reasons for being there are completely different right and right. so it's um you know and I, then I have a I have a guy who works for me and uh at the bank and he's currently like I can't know he's knocking on the door of retirement he's 62 63 years old he uh he once sold some airline software I don't know what it was he tells me about it though like in the 80s 90s he sold this airline software made a ton of money. Like his house could fit four of my houses in it. He's got actually six homes throughout Cache Valley, multiple cabins. He does whatever, like the guy's got a ton of money. 
And he is, in fact, he's not even my employee. He's my employee's employee. Like he has totally accepted just being a guy that just comes to work at a bank and he's got all this experience, all this money, but he's totally fine just coming and working a job that really, if I pull his job description, I, I don't know if I even require a college degree. It might be a, a almost an entry-level job, right? And why does he do that with his resume, with his experience, with everything that he knows? Because he just wants somewhere that he could carpool with his friends when they drove into work, that he can come and network with some friends and have a good time during the day while his wife, who is a school teacher, finishes out her career as a teacher before she can retire and get her pension that she would qualify for. Like his, his career ambition is so vastly different than what my career ambition is working at the same company. And look, it doesn't you know say anything about him. He's not any less of an employee because of that stuff. He's great. And I think that's the value that a guy like Brent Myers could bring is that, yeah, his, his ambitions may be completely different. And that's why he's accepted uh, Weber State. And frankly, he may have just realized what I came to realize a long, long time ago that all of you Utah Countyers uh, stick your nose up at. Ogden's is actually a pretty nice place. But I'm totally fine if you guys all want to think it's Alaska and that everywhere you go, when, when you're not getting shot at, you're stepping on syringes because of all the drugs. I'm fine if that's what you guys want to think Ogden is so that you stay away and allow me to enjoy Ogden for what Ogden is. I Until there's photographic evidence that that is not what Ogden is, I'm going to continue to believe it. But speaking of Mark Weber, did you know that he is the offensive line coach at Washington state now? I did know that, which is, uh, I can't remember where the connection came from, but he's got a connection with, uh, with Rolo up there. Yeah. And I did notice that the other day as I was kind of scouring different ideas of who an offensive line coach could be. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's, he will be back in Provo, right? The Washington state game is in Provo next year. Yeah. Um, so there's, it's, I mean, even so there are guys that obviously after Jeff Grimes, like people would say that as a recruiter, Mark Weber was horrible for BYU. He did, he left the cupboard so completely empty to where we had no offensive lineman who could play at all, hardly. And he, um, but it's, I mean, he's still going around finding jobs. He's at back at a P5 school, right? Like he went to Utah state, then went to Fresno state, then went to Hawaii. And now he followed Nick Rolovich from Hawaii to Washington state. And it's, so it's these coaching careers are weird arcs and there's good coaches at every level. And there's guys that will just grind at the FCS level or D2 level, but just for whatever reason, never get their break. And for, it's true. And all the time. Just, and it happens all the time. And they are good. Like, I think, well, who was the well, coach? Look at like Norm Chow, right? Like right. Norm Chow, he ended up being a crappy head coach in his twilight years. Uh, but people like judge Elisa Tuiaki because he's not entertaining job offers in the same way Jeff Grimes was. Norm Chow was at BYU forever, and he was totally fine with it. And is anybody ever going to say that he was not good for the 15 years that he was at BYU? Like, no, he was elite. He was great at his job. And then they finally, when he decided it was time to move on, he went and was elite at USC, and he freaking pulled Philip Rivers out of nowhere at NC State. Right. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, coaches could come from anywhere. It's I think crazy. Norm Chow even got Vince Young to a Pro Bowl in Tennessee. You know what? He did, and that is something 
that does not get the credit. I need to write an article about that. Like Norm's, Norm Chow's greatest accomplishment was not anything that happened at BYU. It was Vince Young in the Pro Bowl. That has really, is he still? Um, is he still coaching? In I don't think so. He was I at think, a high school. Yeah, uh, and I. Oh, he was at a high school. No, that's right. He was the offensive coordinator for the Los Angeles uh, XFL team. Oh, did he come back for that? Yep. That's funny. I like Norm Chow, but all of that is to say that, look, these coaches could come from anywhere. Kevin Clune is another guy that I look, if you would have said, if you would have said that, okay, Jeff Grimes left and BYU can replace BYU can add a defensive coach who was a former coordinator at a P5 level to replace an offensive coach. Like they can add to this defense to help Elisa Tuiaki, a former P5 coordinator to come in and coach a position. Like who is saying no to that, right? Like that's, that's great. He may not be some elite guy. Like he's not going to, you know, become the next uh, Dabo Swinney. But Kevin Kloon can bring a ton of value for BYU. Brent Myers can bring a ton of value for BYU. And, and so could DJ Woods. If those are the three guys, and it sounds like it's going to be some combination of those three, uh, I, I really like this, this hiring cycle for BYU. Uh, speaking of coaches that are not the typical track, I mean, Dabo Sweeney, there's a perfect example. Dude was coaching. Then he was out of coaching entirely and was working as a realtor. And then went from being a realtor to the wide receiver coach at Clemson and then was promoted from wide receiver coach. He wasn't even the coordinator. When they fired the head coach, they promoted the wide receiver coach over the coordinator to be the interim head coach. And who then, was the coordinator? Do you remember? I don't remember. Um, I don't know who it was, but it's like the dude was unemployed in the coaching world and then went to wide receiver coach at position coach at an ACC school and then jumped without ever being a coordinator or play caller to being the head coach. Right. Like it's, it's the unbeaten path, but he was the right guy. And so that's, that's your job is to find the right guy and screw what the resume says. Amen. Um, so it's, I think when do you expect to see something finalized with that? Right. Cause it's not, uh, I don't know if the football coaches convention is happening the this year again um, or what they're doing with that with COVID or everything. Usually they try to get things wrapped up before the, either right before you want to extend your guys before that. So they don't go asking around or you go to try to network there and, you know, at the convention, try to, you know, if you kind of dig something up, you know, pull an AJ Stewart out of your hat kind of thing. Um, but I expect in the next week or two, we'll see it finalized. There's no huge rush. Um, because there's still, it's a dead period signing days, not for a couple of weeks, but you still want to, especially the offensive line coach, you want to get that done and taken care of. So you can, you know, have the guy in there talking to guys like Saya, um, Mama Kaitolo, you know, before signing day in three weeks or two weeks. Yeah. I, I, I would be willing to bet, uh, that BYU knows that Kalani knows what he wants to do right now. And we're just waiting on. Uh, the rigmarole that comes with hiring at BYU. Like they're just slow. And I, I think the names have probably been selected and, and that's what they're waiting on. Rob Spence, by the way, was the offensive coordinator at Clemson when Dabo was hired over him. Rob Spence is now the offensive coordinator at 
Georgetown. So just goes to show, find the right guy, trust your gut. If you're good at it, you get to keep your job. That's how it works. And if you're bad at it, you get fired. <laughs> That's how it works. Uh, somebody who we will not fire is Ryan Teeples. This is a bad intro. You better I take mean, over. That's, I mean, it's not. I, it's, it's hard to start a plug with, hey, we're not going to fire you. Yeah, we're not going to fire you. But the, uh, So we just want to give a shout out to our sponsor of this episode, Teeples Consulting. If you um, need anything with business intelligence or data or just getting systems in place, uh, call, reach out to Ryan. Uh, you can get him on Twitter is at sports guy, Ryan, or go to Teeples consulting, T E E P L E S consulting.com. He's a good dude. He's a smart dude. Uh, he will talk. He probably won't bill you for the time you talk about sports when you're in a meeting, but he, uh, he will get your business up and running, right. If you have things that you need to take care of. Um, so thank you to Ryan and Teeples consulting again for being a sponsor of the show. Um, and Jeff, speaking of getting things right, I went back and tallied up our picks over the course of the season. And you did well. Uh, we both did well, actually. Um, so it's kind of weird how it, the flow of things goes. So you finished 42 and 34 and I finished 43 and 33. So we were like right there off. Um, but that, that, that was, that's one bet with my heart when I shouldn't have bet with my heart. Right. But it's the flow, right? Like it's the up yep. and down and you had a couple lean weeks. Well, I had a couple good weeks to start out and then my bad weeks were spaced. So my bankroll didn't take as much of a hit, but you finished the season up 18% over the start of where your bankroll started. Not I finished the season up 28% and change, but really, then really good. Yes. I, I mean, I, I mean, that's a 2018 401k good is what that is. Yeah. Um, so, and then of the, let's see, there were how many games is that? So we, we picked 76 games total that didn't get canceled to get everything. And then of those 51 of the 76, we agreed. And if everyone just tailed the picks where you and I agreed, they'd be up 32 and a half percent right now. Listen, if we could have told people, Hey, we can get you a 32 and a half percent return on anything in four months, in four months, everybody. And what is that? Annualize that out. I mean, you're looking at a pretty frigging good return. I mean, that's like, that's yeah. That's like to get a return like that in four months, you're talking about being a hard money lender to someone flipping a house. Yeah. I mean, that's what you're doing. Like the really, which I also do that. So if you also, if you have any opportunities to, You need liquidity for a hard money lending opportunity because you are flipping a house. Uh, talk to Jeff or me because we would like to get a piece of that pie. Yeah, we'll, we'll find a way to, to work you in. Uh, or, or like cocaine. Like that's almost cocaine money. Yeah. Like I don't know how you get a return, but like I assume you have to invest in cocaine in order to sell cocaine. Like Pablo Escobar wasn't doing all that stuff for free. Right. I don't so, know. It comes from well, it's like a coca plant or whatever, but like I don't know. It's a, you got to watch Narcos, don't you? Kind of speak Spanish? Do you kind of speak Spanish? Uh, not, uh, I mean, kind of as loose. I took Spanish in high school, and sometimes I, I struggle to attempt to hold conversations with my wife's grandma. Hmm. Uh, well, then maybe not. Uh, but I mean, Narcos, uh, well, I didn't even Narcos. have to speak Spanish when I went to the dentist in Mexico. So it's <laughs> Narcos. If you, I mean, I'm sure you already know. 
I made a really bad well, – before I get into Narcos, I made a terrible recommendation last week. I, I recommended The Hateful Eight, which was a great movie. Uh, when I recommended The Hateful Eight, I had not yet finished the show. I was about not quite halfway through when we started recording, and then I finished after we, were, we wrapped up recording. And that took that show in the last half took a really hard turn into, oh my gosh, I never should have recommended this to anybody who has any sort of like morality standard. So I apologize to all of you for if you watched Our the Hateful Eight, Bishop Jeff. No, it was bad. <laughs> I mean, it was like. I, I'm pretty desensitized to most things. I'm about to recommend Narcos to everybody for crying out loud. Uh, but even I was like, you know, maybe I should turn this off. I didn't. I watched it all the way through. But I thought that, that maybe I should turn this off. So would, I'm sorry. How would you describe that voice in your head that told you to turn it off? Um, it's really, really subtle and really passive. It's like, uh, look. Would you describe I, I, it as still or maybe no, small? No, no, no. I don't even think it's still or small for me. Uh, I think that that voice has kind of just stopped trying for me. And I think now that he has like relegated uh, his responsibilities to somebody else. And it's more like a voice that I, I have a face for podcasting. That's why we don't put this on YouTube. Um, so if you can imagine... A very scared, like ninth grade Jeff. And I have this face that I, I still have. It was the same back then. And trying to talk to the cute girl in school and getting turned down and then just being like, okay. And then walking off. Like that's kind of how the voice pops up in my head now. It's not the, it's not that still voice, that small voice that you're alluding to that kind of talks with though quiet conviction. It's like a voice that's like, hey, Jeff, maybe not. And then I go, ah, no, I'm going to do this. And they go, yeah, okay. And then they just sort of run off. That's the voice. And uh, it's not good. But anyway, my, my recommendation for everybody, and it, mostly for you, not for everybody, is Narcos. You'll learn a lot about cocaine. It's really a cool show. It's like half Spanish and half English. It's very rated R, so there's a lot of F words, especially if you understand Spanish, but where you may not and probably don't. Well, I, I know those words. Those are the important ones. <laughs> then, then they'll pick up on those. But if you don't understand Spanish, like most of the profanity you will just kind of go right over your head because it's in Spanish. Very good show that will teach you about the rise of Pablo Escobar, how he was caught. It's very informative. It's one of those uh what do, what do they call it like the historical fiction that it's like um, a show it's not a documentary but it's all based on true stuff right so you should watch it i think you'd enjoy it okay does your wife speak spanish yes she does she probably would not enjoy it as much as you might so watch this one on your own time okay all right well i mean i'll that'll be maybe the late night the late yeah. night show um uh, but I, I'm so, I don't know how I've never burned it. I watched like the first season and a half of Ozark, which is kind mm. of like a similar show, but instead mm -hmm. of in Mexico, it's rednecks in Arkansas, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I, the second, the back half of the second season, like I just couldn't. I have a problem where if a show loses my interest, I will never go back and finish it. Yep. I will even if people said like, oh, like. 
no, that season sucked, but the third season is good. Like you got it. Like the third season, they got back on track. Like, I don't care. Like it's, there's too, there's too much content out there and I'm not going to waste my time. Like if I lose my interest and stop watching it, I stop watching it and that's it. Like, yeah, I, and I'm the same way. The thing that I think you will like about Narcos is if there are slow moments and there's a few, but if there are slow moments, it's based off of a true story. So the slow moments are at least describing something that happened. Right. So you'll, there's context to the slow. It's not like Breaking Bad where you just have like seasons that are slow for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. That's another one of those shows. I have in Breaking Bad, there was like the episode where he's like trying to catch the fly in the that lab. The or worst. Some people I, love that one. That was the worst episode. I stopped watching that show after. Never went back. After that episode, and I never went back. Wow. Maybe I need to fire up Breaking Bad again or just keep going and see. You you muted yourself again. That's two weeks in a row now. You uh you did the microphone one. The headsets that we have have these magic buttons that will mute you. Am I muted? Now Am you're I'm not back? anymore. You're back That's now. This isn't a better show. This is, I mean, we're we're almost right on par with last week. But no, Breaking Bad, you were so close to the end. You may need to go back. Maybe I'll go back and watch it. Like I'll maybe I won't watch it. I'll listen to it while I'm working and put it on okay. in the background. And then I can put it on my computer. I can speed it up to like the way you speed up a podcast and it's like mm-hmm. a one and a half speed or something. And then and I can crank it out. As somebody who has seen Breaking Bad several times through, you could go ahead and just skip right over that fly episode when it comes up and you won't miss a beat. Okay. That's oh. I wish I want there to be like some type of service where you can say like, I want to watch a show, but I want to only watch like the important episodes. Like mm-hmm. tell me those six episodes, like season two has 25 episodes. You can skip these seven of them. They don't really do much with the plot line. They like, they get recapped in later episodes. You won't be really be too confused. You can just get those seven hours of your life back. Yeah, I, I get it. So, I mean, don't do that. Speaking of getting things back. The Western Athletic Conference is set to announce that they are returning football to this great nation under their banner. And they not only that, uh, Dixie State and Southern Utah University will be joining them along with four schools from Texas. And that's the initial six schools that they're going to have in their league right now. Um, supposedly, Grand Canyon University, who's already a member of the WAC is considering and possibly going to add football. The Northern Arizona University uh, athletic director said that they weren't interested, which I don't really know why you'd do that. If you could, if you're in Flagstaff and you can be in a league with SUU, Dixie, and GCUs and Phoenix, like that's kind of your whole footprint around you. Um, so, but the interesting thing with this is all of these schools and the WAC is saying that their intention is to move from FCS up to FBS within 10 years of announcing this. And they are going to start playing FCS football this fall is when the WAC is playing football again in the fall of 2021. And they say by 2030, they want to be an FBS league. So my question is, if and when the WAC moves up to FBS, how long does it take before either Dixie or SUU supplants Utah State as the third best program in the state of Utah? Well, I mean, I think it's a really simple question, right? Would you rather go and play your college football career in St. George or Logan? 
And that's it's not going to, it's not going to take long. I mean, it's going to take a couple of recruiting classes and a decent coach. Yeah. And it's, I mean, even SU, like I would much rather live in Cedar than I would in Logan. Now here's the question. Why wouldn't Weber leave the big sky and join that league? So I've, I, I think my gut tells me that when the WAC, so Dixie already accepted the invitation to the WAC last year and they're joined in other sports this year. And they were supposed to start as an FCS independent and then obviously push their season or cancel their season, whatever. Um, my gut tells me that when the WAC approached SUU and SUU was on board because they're like, well, Dixie's right there and we want to be in a conference with our closest school to have a rival because they're only like 45 minutes away from each other or whatever. I think they assumed that Weber would follow suit because then you'd have all three schools of the smaller schools in the state would all be in the same league. And Weber, I think, feels like they're the big dog or they, you know, say, well, the big sky is one of the oldest um, in, you know, the big sky is kind of like the, the big sky is like the big 10 of FCS football, where it's like the schools, like the Montana schools, Weber state, Idaho state, like those, the bulk of the big sky NAU has been together forever, right? They've been so maybe not the big 10. Cause they have a little change. They're like the ACC of it, where it's like the ACC has added a bunch of new schools, but that core of the ACC has been there since 1935 or whenever they split from the SoCon. Um, which I don't know if you ever want to see something trippy, go look at like the 1940 SOCON standings because it's the current members of the Southern Conference and then every ACC school and every SEC school, they were all in this, there were like 35 teams in one conference. How fun season. would that be? Um, so they, you know, so I think that maybe Weber goes and especially, I think if the commitment is there to move to FBS, then you know, maybe they say, Hey, we were the offers on the table. It's not going to go away right away because you are doing really well, but it's maybe they sit on it and want to see where this thing goes for a little bit, similar to like how BYU treated the offer to join the ACE, the American or the big East at the time. Right. And maybe we were down the road, does not and they don't want to just jump in, or maybe they're waiting and saying, well, we want to figure out what's going to happen with the, uh, you know, playoff invitation or whatever, get more. They want some more assurances of things, but I mean, I think it, they definitely should because it's, I mean, the ties of like, hey, does anyone, and I guess we were your closest school is Idaho State and Pocatello, right? But it's like, is that that big of a rivalry where people care about playing Idaho State no. or anything? Or the no, Montana or Montana the, State? Right. right? Weber, Weber fans care about playing Montana Montana State, but I don't think Montana Montana State fans really care about playing Weber much. Right. And it's this the biggest thing for Weber is probably – the SUU game because it's the other in-state school. But even then, that's, they haven't, they were never in the same league until like 2013. And, right. and then SUU was played Division II football until it was like 96. So they haven't even been at the same level for very long. Right. And so, you know, when you look at that, it's if they can, if the WAC can get a couple of the California schools in and get up to like seven, eight schools, it's, I mean, really, it's the big sky would have the three. Well, I guess Eastern Washington has also been very good, but it's like they'd have Weber, who was not that great before Jay Hill and will probably not be that great after Jay Hill leaves. Oh, come on. And then the two Montana schools, right? That's like kind of all that's left in the big sky. So if you're trading that versus like, okay, go 
be in the startup FCS league that's going to move up to FBS and you'll put your school on the map and kind of do more. And then imagine a world where the state of Utah has six FBS teams. Well, that would be weird. You know, there, there's some intrigue with that moving up to FBS on the surface. That sounds like a bad idea, right? But let's just pretend that this whole P5 break off, like the recession of the P5 from the rest of the G5 happens. And the G5 then forms its own playoff and its own league. Then at that point, you are now having really three established tiers of college football. If you're Weber and you could move from tier three to tier two, why wouldn't you? It just seems to make sense. So I like it. I like the move. I like the move uh, for the WAC. I would like that move for Weber. I, I think that you and I, you know, we, we've tried multiple different endeavors, like whether it's our shirts, please go buy our shirts, whether it's our prints, please go buy our prints, uh, or whatever other ideas you and I have talked about. We, we've tried a lot of different ways to create something cool that could make us a little bit of money. Why are we not pitching a 10-part series to Netflix about college football realignment over the last hundred years did that like that's yeah like a full 30 for 30 yeah like 10 full episodes hour long each and we just talk about how uh maybe this needs to be like the podcast series like we're gonna put some work into this maybe it's its own maybe it's like a uh, a, a different podcast. Maybe it's a part of Give Them Hell Brigham. Maybe it's just like a 10 episode chunk in the middle of the off season, like in May. But we need to put some research into this and let's talk about how college football came to be. Because, yeah, yeah like it, it was very different 100 years ago than what it is today. I mean, that's true. Like, I, I really like want to see something because a lot of it it's you know i kind of missed it right like you the whole and there's things that i don't really like remember like i don't realize at the time like okay the conference usa getting created because everyone was like we have to be in a conference can't be independent anymore like the big east was created out of thin out of a bunch of independent teams and conference usa followed suit a couple years later this the southwest conference getting blown up to create the big 12 screw you baylor alumna governor of texas that should be byu not baylor like the <laughs> even when the big east expanded and after the acc and the lawsuit between the acc schools and the big east schools and cincinnati and a couple other conference usa schools getting poached by the big east and then them thinking oh they finally made it because they were in a bcs conference and then getting completely like gut-wrenching like taken away from them except for louisville somehow lucking in or like a yukon going from an fcs school up to a bcs school overnight like there's it's crazy it's crazy and it's you know there's so many things with realignment and you look at like you know the types of schools like right like the nau has said they're not super interested in going to the WAC because they don't feel like they fit in because it's you know the rest of like it's a bunch of schools in texas and whatever and it's like they don't feel like they fit in because the big sky has been these like mountain schools like the montana and weber and it's these like backcountry we're in flagstaff we're not down in phoenix with those city slickers at gcu or the yuppies up in st george right like it's <laughs> even though flagstaff is full of hippies like they kind of right they're like we're the nau lumberjacks and it's the, so they kind of like the way schools view their conferences and like the cultural fit of a conference and i'm just like i don't get it because to me it's like 
I y'all trying to win games and make money. Let's do this. Right. Like it's not, I don't right. see all of the other stuff, but it's university presidents who make that call. Garrett, I think we've just stumbled upon our spinoff podcast that we just pick one school, one school, an episode, and we dig into their history over the course of the last hundred years. We spend a week researching who that school is, how they came to be, and we just work our way through every school. This is, yeah, I think we could do that. And speaking of this whack alignment. Sorry, hold on. If any of you, you listeners, want to steal that idea, we have dibs. Yes, so this cannot. is this is you know similar to an inventor's journal. This is us. Like we will take you to court that we have this idea first, right? And it's um, recorded for everybody to know that it's true. Yes, at ten thirty-five p.m. Mountain Time on Wednesday, January thirteenth. <laughs> but it's speaking of schools like identity. A lot of people are mad and like, especially because Grand Canyon University was for profit for a while because the school as a nonprofit school was going to go bankrupt and they were like, we got to get some money. So they were like, well, let's become for-profit and have an IPO. And then we can make money in the stock market to keep ourselves afloat. And then we'll transition back. And they're in the middle of transitioning back. But it's funny to me, kind of going back to what we're talking about with like Brent Myers, like the people complain about like their resume and just saying, evaluate it for what it is. The On the Reddit CFB thread about the um, GCU possibly adding football. People were mad and like, screw GCU, they're a for-profit school. It's a scam. It's like, well, one, okay, obviously it's not Harvard, right? But it is not University of Phoenix or ITT Tech. And it is a legitimate school. It's a not a top school, but it's, you know, like an SUU or a Dixie or an NAU type of school. But people were so mad that they are a for-profit school. So I went and looked. So obviously every school in the WCC is a private religious institution it is a they're all colleges that are not for profit supposedly and registered as such but gcu's tuition is less than half of every other of every wcc school besides byu (laughs) as a for-profit school though it's like they're for profit they're paying taxes on it and that is messed up but friggin LMU or Santa Clara charging $65,000 a year for tuition is not messed up. And that's not a scam. Don't, like, even, I, don't even get me started. I have big opinions on higher education, the state of higher uh, education in this country. I think, I think, uh, I don't think there is a more corrupt organization than the greater collective body of secondary education. Like it is absolutely asinine. Everything about it is ridiculous. Like for example, uh, Weber State is building a new building. It costs, you know, some millions of dollars. And I get it. Like there's an endowment. There's money that's pledged years ago to go towards future projects. I understand all of that stuff. But they broke ground on a multi-million dollar building now. Like this is a commuter school. Like Weber State hardly even has on-campus housing. Why are they investing millions of dollars into building and infrastructure on their campus instead of millions of dollars into technology so that you can just go to school online more easily. It doesn't make any sense, but instead they build these giant buildings and kids now can't work, you know, well, I mean, you can, but kids are encouraged to go to campus to go to school on campus more often than not. So you go, you can't work 
in a full-time job or maybe the same full-time job or whatever. So now you have to get student loans when in reality, the school could really do you a huge solid. It's not like Weber State is Harvard. If they just get a degree, the, the, the degree from Weber State doesn't matter. It's just saying you got the checkbox that you did it. Just to make it easy on the kids, invest in the technology. I, I hate it. I hate that's it. what GCU has done, right? Like, and they props I to want, them. I want Western governors. I mean, I am a proud alumni of Western governors for what it's worth, but I want Western governors to have a football team. I would support the hell out of the owls because they have a mascot, even though they have no sports. Yeah, they, they have an owl. And I don't think they call themselves the owls. I think so. It's more like a logo than a mascot, but there's an owl. And listen, Western governors has never raised their tuition. They have call or they have students all across the country, multiple different degree plans. Like they're a regular, you know, it's not Stevens Henniker, like they're a regular university and it's all online and it can be done. And tuition has stayed the same since they opened their doors. Like why, why are more universities not doing that? It's, you know, cause they, it's, we could get a whole other thing about the economics and messed up incentives of higher education, but I'm just here to say that you cannot in the same sentence call Grand Canyon University a scam because they are quote unquote for profit because while at the same time saying that Presbyterian College, who is a member of the Big South Conference, is with their like 1,000 students is charging $45,000 a year in tuition. Like, yeah, listen, that you uh, can't. As long as Liberty University is operating, I don't want to hear any complaints about any other school. Well, and, and Liberty's not Liberty's nonprofit. There's, you know, that's so it's it's a joke. It, it's a joke. But we did get a couple mailback questions to wrap up this show. Um, see, we have well, actually, we kind of talked about everything else. We have two. Would you support a GoFundMe to get Nick Saban to retire? Not anymore. I uh, five years ago I would have said yes, but at this point he's reached like Tom Brady status for me that I used to hate the Patriots. I hated Tom Brady. I was so tired of them winning. But then I realized just how great Tom Brady really is and how rare it is to see greatness like that sustained for so long that I started to cheer for Tom Brady because it's like this, we are witnessing greatness every year. Nick Saban's there for me, man. Like what he's done at Alabama. Yeah, I get it. I'm tired of watching Alabama in the national championship too but I'm just impressed by the greatness. So I want him to continue as long as he can. The thing with Nick Saban is that you compare Nick Saban to every other like big time coach, right? Like compare Nick Saban to, I don't know, Chip Kelly, right? It's or Nick Saban to Mac Brown, or I guess, I mean, Pete Carroll kind of got run out of town at the, they, they were still good, but it's those coaches where the game passes them by right? Like it's, they kind of, they get burnt out. They lose the fire, the game changes, but they are reluctant of like, no, this is what we've done. It works like whatever. The Alabamas that you see today are built completely different. And what they're doing is completely different than what you saw five years ago, 10 years ago, when he first got there, he has, he is freaking 70 years old and is still evolving with the game as much as any young up and coordinate up and coming coordinator in the country. And that is amazing to me. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, I I read this morning, that, or maybe it was yesterday, that Notre Dame is the only team in the last two years to hold Alabama's offense 
to less than 35 points. When you think of Alabama and Nick Saban football, you don't think of offense, but he has innovated how he wins so much that he has not scored less than 35 points in a single game more than one time in the last 27 Alabama football games. And that's what like, that's amazing. Yeah. And it's, I mean, in, in that too, it's like, I know people were mad after that game. Cause you're like Notre Dame got, you know, got the crap beat out of them by Alabama. They didn't deserve to be there, whatever. It's like, it didn't matter who Alabama was playing. Like this Alabama no, team not this year, this Alabama team is better than, you know, last year it was, they're better than the LSU team last year that won the national championship. Yeah. Nick, and Saban said something in a press conference. Yeah, they're insane. And Saban talked about that in a press conference this week. No other Alabama team or any team has won 11 SEC games. And that's what Alabama did this year. They won 11 SEC games. And then the two non-conference games that they played were Notre Dame and Ohio State. Like They played big-time football this year, and they just obliterated everybody. So, no, I don't want to get rid of Nick Saban. I'm more tired of Dabo Swinney. Like, Clemson and Dabo is at where Alabama was for me five years ago. Like, he's not quite at that, like, holy cow, we may never see this again stage. He's just at that, gal, he's always there, and I'm tired of it. It's a, yeah, he need, Dabo needs to pivot or do something. Like, it needs to, what's going to happen right next with, and is he going to take that next step of what's going to happen there? Because I want to see, is there going to be a transformation or is the game going to leave Dabo and Brent Venables behind, right? Right. Tana behind. And that's what I want to see. And our next question, this is a little off the path for us. This is from uh, Chase Ellerman said, uh, yay or nay on chicken soft tacos from Del Taco. To simplify this question slightly, we are not looking for authentic or not because we all know they are not, but just overall, yay or nay? Uh, chicken soft taco is very near and dear to my heart. From Del Taco? It, it, uh-huh. It is maybe- I can't remember my... the last time I ate at Del Taco. I was probably oh, in high man. school or something. D- Del Taco is maybe my favorite fast food restaurant. It's definitely my favorite fast food Mexican restaurant. I think it might be my favorite fast food restaurant overall. And the chicken soft taco, it's like a side almost. Like when you go to McDonald's, you get a burger and fries and you get the fries just because that's what they give you. Like you can add a chicken soft taco to anything that you get and you will be happy with it. Uh, They're no longer called a chicken soft taco. And this is how we know that Chase Ellerman is an original Del Tacoer is he's calling it a chicken soft taco. They're now called the grilled chicken taco. And then you have to specify that you would like it as a soft taco. But it's like that secret menu that if you just say chicken soft taco, they know it's stupid. I can't support that. (laughs) It's it's stupid. I prefer mine with no lettuce because lettuce is gross and lettuce from fast food places is even more gross. So I just get the chicken, the sauce, and then I add my own hot sauce, cheese, they're like little flour tortillas. They're delicious. I don't know what the chicken is made out of. I know it's not chicken, but they are delicious. And they're like 79 cents. I mean, Taco Bell's kind of expensive now. Well, Taco Bell's not expensive, but compared to what it used to be, unless you're getting like the $5 box of the month or whatever at Taco Bell, mm-hmm. it's not like even like a bean and cheese burrito is like a buck 80 now. Right. Yeah, they... Del, Del Taco should supplant Taco Bell as 
this is where you go. One, if you are inebriated. Two, if you are under the influence of marijuana. Or three, if you are just hungry. Del Taco's the place. They don't have Baja Blast, though. Uh, Yeah, but they have chicken soft tacos. I'm telling you, man. I don't know what the chicken's made out of. Like, I, I, I honestly could not even venture a guess to say what the chicken is made out of. I mean, speaking of gross food, well, not gross food, just like big food. Uh, I tried on Friday night. I discovered that there's a place near my house called Deep Fried Haven. And literally everything on the menu is deep fried. Oh. Well, they actually have a, it's it's like a Greek guy owns it. And so he has Greek food. So they have like Euro fries and you get like a Euro or whatever. But I tried some okay. Euro fries, which is good. Like carne asada fries with Euro yeah. instead of guac and asada, um, whatever. But they, so- I um try that, but so they had deep fried. I tried deep fried pizza. It was weird. Would not recommend that, it. That feels weird. It was something that like I don't regret it just because I could say that I did it right. Yeah, like one of those things. But deep fried pizza. They have deep fried lasagna. Didn't try that. They had deep fried Oreos, Snickers, like all sorts of candy bars that you could get, which is kind of run of the mill fair food. They had deep fried mac and cheese. which is good i do like deep fried mac and cheese but it's i just want to give a shout out as my hellion of the week to this guy named azar who is uh you know running this thing it's azar's gyro and deep fried haven and you know props to him living the american dream and having the entrepreneurial spirit to know that americans will eat anything that is deep fried and starting a successful business on that knowledge that is impressive. Uh, as long as we're talking about kind of fun, off the wall sort of restaurants, there is a, a barbecue. I mean, we're going to call it barbecue, but it's really a Dutch oven restaurant. They make Dutch oven barbecue in Farmington, Utah, off of Shepherd Lane, not at Farmington Station where everything else is. Little Dutch oven place that everything is cooked in a Dutch oven. And there used to be a Dutch oven place, I think, in Lehigh, right by Open Court, if I remember right, that went out of business. I love Dutch oven cooking, and it's just slow. And I guess that's probably why not more Dutch oven restaurants are open. But this place, Daly's Wood Fire, is still open, still going strong, still very good in Farmington, Utah. And I support small business, and I support small businesses that use Dutch ovens. So that's my hellion. I, you know, I'm big supporter of good food. Oh, they also had deep fried che- Philly cheesesteaks on the menu. Oh, the, I don't know. It's the deep fried bread that I don't know if I can so wrap they my didn't head around. Do the bread. So like the pizza was not like the crust was not in there. It was like they took the dough. It was almost, it was like a giant hot pocket or like a calzone or something, right? Okay. Like it was, so it was not the dough wasn't, it was just like they fried the whole thing. It wasn't like, here's a sandwich or with crust and then more dough wrapped around it. It was like dough folded up instead of just baked and then sealed off like a calzone. And so it's like more like a deep fried calzone. Interesting. But Very I mean, interesting. This has been a good show. It has. Like it's hiccups. been random. It's been, there were a couple of hiccups. They were both mine. I apologize. But uh, it's been a random show. It's the off season, folks. Like this is what, this is what the root 
and really the core of give them hell brigham is like we can sit and talk and nerd out about football about basketball too if we really wanted to but especially about football all day long but we have and it pains me to say this we have more than eight months to kill before we can really talk football again so i mean the fcs football is starting a month from today so uh, maybe i mean we'll see yeah that's true maybe we'll see covid's still a thing but so we've got at least eight months until we could talk about byu football nuts and bolts uh please don't leave us like this is what this is what helped us become who we are was just the rants just the talking and we will always sprinkle football in and we will end this show with just one brief last minor football note my favorite stat is available yards. If you guys don't know what available yards is, it's a very simple concept. Every drive that BYU gets onto the field, they have X number of yards available to them. The percentage of yards that they gain becomes their available yards percentage. So there's a touchback on the kickoff. You get the ball at the 25. You have 75 available yards. You score yep. a touchdown, you got 75 yards. If you go 20 yards and punt, you got 20 out of the 75 yards, whatever in the percentage. Whatever percent, yeah, 30, whatever percent that is. Yep. And so that's the way that we look at it. And the reason I like this stat so much is it's one number that really looks at your efficiency. It looks at your time of possession. It looks at your ability to have big plays, to score. It looks at so many different things. And defense would just be the flip of that, right? Right. Like yep. How if, many yards you give up? If you gave up, it's there were 75 yards to give up. You only gave up 20 or, you know, flip it around. You had 55 yards in your favor, right? Right. Yep, exactly. So. Our friends that I don't know that maybe you know who runs this site. I actually don't. Ryan Fremo. Okay. Yeah. Our friend Ryan Fremo at BCF Toys uh, has put together all of the available yards for the final tallies for the year. BYU is the number one team in the country in net available yard percentage. That's the difference between the available yards that BYU gained on offense and the available yards that they gave up on defense. Number one in the country, just ahead of Alabama at 34.3%. That the, the math to get there, BYU gained a staggering, and this was number two just behind Alabama, 71.1% of their available yards this year. To put that into perspective, that is if BYU starts on their goal line every drive and has 100 yards to gain, they are, on average, finishing with a 47-yard field goal attempt. That's pretty freaking impressive. And when you put it as in a touchback, right, 70%, 71% of 75 yards puts them at what, the 18-yard the line? 50, yep. And so uh, that's a 35-yard field goal on average, on every drive, any given drive, no matter where BYU picked up the ball, on average, they would end up in scoring position. And so that's, that's how good BYU was this year. And that's higher than, so this is, you know, so last year Alabama was number one on offense at 69%. The year before Oklahoma was number one at 70%. So it's in terms of offense, it's like they were really good. Right? They were like, really good. Now this, uh, we should note, 
if you wanted to go and recalculate that stat and you're not getting the 71.1%, BCF Toys does remove any games against FCS schools and they remove garbage time results as well. Uh, as far as the defense, because I know that's what everybody's thinking, they gave up just 36.8% of the available yards. That was 10th in the country. BYU was the only team in the country to be ranked in the top 10 in both defensive available yards allowed and offensive available yards gained. The only team in the country. Like That was a very good defense this year. And it's, Jeff, I mean, it, I was under the impression that our defense just could not get off the field and was giving up long drives every play and then got lucky or there was a, you know, long drives that ended in a missed chip shot field goal because they just teams were marching up and down the field on us. But it turns out that is not the case. Yes, it is not. They did very, very, very well, better than all but nine other teams in the country this year in terms of getting off the field. Uh, It was very good. Some of that is the offense because it does create garbage time. Although, uh, brother Frimo, he does, I've seen him talk to Bill Connolly and he takes garbage time later. He doesn't start counting garbage time until later in the game than SP plus does. Um, but so some of that is still like, okay, it's garbage time. So maybe some of those other drives got taken out or whatever, but we talked about this after the Western Kentucky game. When you're up like 35 to seven, if they want to take 11 minutes off the clock to go score a touchdown, you don't care. And it's when you're in guard, the reason you take out garbage time is because you're saying both of these teams are not calling their normal place, right? Like yeah, they've conceded the result of the game. Already. Right. The It's such a blow that the offense is just going to try to not turn the ball over, keep the clock running, get off the field without getting hurt. The defense is says, Hey, we have a big enough lead. We can stay on our base defense the whole time they're not really going to try to do much like we know they're going to be throwing the ball a ton to try to make up a quick league so we can just sit back in zone coverage and they won't complete that many passes like let's just get out of here and so it works both ways um but yeah the only school to finish in the top 10 in both and number one in the country in both categories i mean that's huge that's huge we did played exceptionally well on Yes, and we finished number 11 in both the coaches and AP poll, but in the poll that matters most to us, that is the Massey Composite ranking, finished number 10. So 48 computer rankings agree. We're a top 10 team. I'll take that. We'll take that all day long. Uh, I didn't realize until this week when I wrote an article, this is the fourth highest ranking ever in BYU history. And two of those came in 1983 and 1984. Like, this was a really good year, and I don't think that we're appreciating it like I always thought we would. Yeah, This was a phenomenal year. I don't – it doesn't get the love that it will. Um, it doesn't get the love that it will and deserve, and people will look at things, and if you – or someone who is employed by BYU TV and says the most memorable part of this year is the one yard short against coastal Carolina. If you're that person, just walk away. Like you don't, you, (laughs) that's that's not a good take my man. No. And it's just enjoy the things in life. Enjoy things. Don't look at the negative. Life is too short to worry about that. that This is a dang good year. And you know, if you look at all of the teams in the state of Utah in the last 12 years, since realignment announcements were made you know there's you know been two teams in the last 12 years since that have finished in the top 15 both of them are byu there have been 
you know, and there have been the same number of P5 conference championships in the last decade. So there we go. <laughs> we'll take that. And with that, Garrett, uh, you give them hell this week. You give them hell.